Hello, 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 my beautiful listeners. Today, I am happy to bring the final episode of season two of Life's a Blank to your listening pleasure. Hopefully, it's listening pleasure. I know it's enjoyment for me to bring it to you, though I will say I'm a little disappointed in myself for season two being a bit sporadic. Uh, but there was a lot that happened in, in the, the timeline of season two. I had wanted more episodes than uh, the, the nine that we have brought to you. But beyond that, I, I was sick uh, for part of the year. And it was just a really hard year with life in general. And I know that's true for everybody. Mass trauma event that we've been living in for the last near two years has been um, hard on everybody and I'm no different and I'm not trying to say that I'm different or it's been worse for me than it's been for other people. It has been um, a trying time and the conversation with the beautiful Wendy Russell that uh, you are going to enjoy today. Uh, we talk about our struggles in life, not just the last two years, but we talk about what it meant to grow up with body image issues and the song today, Mockingbird, you know, it kind of fit. And as we were talking, every time we shifted gears, that song just kept popping into my head. It's by a band named Palliard, who I had the pleasure of meeting uh, back in 2006 at an event that I was photographing. And they gave me their album and told me, yeah, use our music anytime you want on anything. And I, I have, I love their music, it's, it's got a great sound. I don't even know, though, if they are still playing music around the Chicagoland area. I should actually look into that. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, it, it's really a song about, you know, how in life we're silenced, like the mockingbird who doesn't really have a song voice like other birds. It, it's often seen as being, you know, on the outskirts of things. And, you know, so often that's how I felt and, and how my listen, uh, my, my conversation today with Wendy, it, we talked some about that. And also, you know, it connects with the, it, the conversation that will be the season three premiere on February 17th. Yes, just right around the corner. Um, we are going to air that. It also, this song makes me think of uh, a young man, and I was originally going to try to air this season finale last, last Saturday on January 15th, uh, because that was the 10-year anniversary of the loss of someone dear to me and dear to so many, um, a young man named Kevin Valentine, who had been one of my students when I taught religious ed years and years ago. And he was in the class that when we switched from second grade to third grade, he was stayed in that. There was about 10 students or 12 or maybe more um, that stayed with me and my co-teacher for those two years. So we really got to know those kids really well. And there were two of those kids that we've, we, well, that I stayed in touch with. Um, she, my co-teacher probably stayed in touch with more of them because she lived in the area. I graduated and moved away. She stayed. But the other person I met, I connected with after Kevin had passed away or reconnected with, I should say, and we, we are connected now and we talk occasionally, but Kevin and I stayed in touch and I stayed in touch with his family and they were really an instrumental part of my growth even after college. Their family was the first 
time I ever saw a healthy family, really. I mean, I, I had some other friends that had healthy families and I had, uh, there was a professor I had whose family I started babysitting for that they had a healthy family, but I had known Kevin's family before I really got to know theirs. And it was just this family that had love at its center and it was unconditional. There was no expectation. There was just this beautiful world that whatever Kevin wanted to pursue, whatever his siblings wanted to pursue, his parents supported them. They didn't judge them. They didn't, you know, try to steer them in a different way. They listened, they talked to them, they helped them go through the ideas. And yes, they, they asked them questions that made them think about their choices. Um, and they still do that with their, the kids that are, their other two kids that, are, that have survived Kevin. Uh, but Kevin was this person that just wanted to make the world better. And he strove to make the world better. And he, he wanted to be a teacher and he, he wanted to follow in his dad's footsteps and specifically teach chemistry. And he just, if you ever met anyone who knew who they were, he just did. Like I've been, you know, I'm the identity guru and I have spent my entire life searching for who I am and trying to understand who other people are and trying to, to grasp identity in some way, shape or form in the world. Kevin just knew who he was from the time he was a child. He just knew exactly what he wanted, what he who he wanted to be, and he wanted to be changed in the world. He was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia a few years before he passed away. And he spent that time, while he was fighting the disease and, and trying to live through it and doing everything he could to not die, he also was doing everything he could to make sure everyone he left behind was not silenced, was not like a mockingbird, so to speak, was not alone in a group of people that they knew that they could be changed as well. And he worked in those last few years to be changed. And I think about his last few years and how while he was my student, I think I learned more from him than he could have ever learned from me, especially since when I was his teacher, I didn't know much yet. Anyway, I was very much still learning about the world, trying to <laughs> be uh, somewhat like the blind leading the blind, so to speak. Uh, his faith and his joy always brought a smile. In fact, smiling and being happy, not necessarily ignoring the sadness or the bad parts of life, but seeking that smile and that joy in every moment, even right down to the last words on his deathbed. It was always about finding the smile in life. And I wanted to air the episode last Saturday to honor him and his the 10 years since his he passed it was a beautiful snowy day last saturday and he just absolutely loved the snow so it's it was kind of fitting 
Um, but I had just been coming out of a ear infection and I was not in any place to record this monologue beginning. And I just was not in a frame of mind um, between that being the anniversary of his death and Monday being what would have been Betty White's 100th birthday, which I then thought about, oh, I'll air it on Monday. I just, it was just a lot to deal with. And I was also prepping for classes to start and dealing with some client issues. And I'm way behind because of, of having the ear infection. And I'm not making excuses. This is just the reality of it. I, I made a conscious choice to not come in here and do the recording and to take the time to heal and reflect and the like. And I think that that's important. That's a really important part of being body positive and being true to yourself and for self-care too. Like we need as a society to be more uh, recognizing that sometimes we need to not go with the original plan, that the plan has to be set aside so that our health mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever can be handled. And that's what I was doing. I was taking the moment for me. And yes, it drew out season two a little bit longer. I mean, I had wanted it to end in, um, 2021 so that we started fresh with season three in 2022 but I am at a constant reminder that life well it doesn't always work out exactly like you think it's going to and you can make plans but you should always be prepared to be flexible when the plans don't go as they're supposed to and that's how life is but here we are in the final episode of season two. It has been an honor to bring you the conversations that I've brought you this season that have ranged from racism to travel to body image. And it's about recognizing and honoring the beautiful people in the world, the people that bring the smiles to the faces, even when we don't agree, even when we don't like something, even when it's not perfect. Even when the world is falling apart, bringing smile and joy in some way to recognize all of the beautiful people in the world, because that's what life is. Life is a blank. Life is what we make it. And I know had Kevin lived, had Kevin survived the leukemia, he would have made a beautiful life because the legacy he left behind was beautiful lives that were touched by a beautiful life, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> anyway, um, in fact, most of the work I do, I do it in part because I know that Kevin would have wanted to see change being brought to the world. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help us all see the beauty in each other and having good, amazing conversations with all the different, wonderful, beautiful, real people of the world in their real selves. I mean, we, we don't censor ourselves. We go where the conversation goes. And there's a couple conversations already recorded for season three that are going to be a bit controversial. No, bye. Uh, 
but we are also respectful in our controversy and we recognize that there's a bigger picture at play. That's what this show is all about. Helping to redefine what beautiful people are in the world. And it's not about what you look like, it's about who you are and about recognizing and honoring all the parts of humanity and, and going forward from that. In that light, if you have any suggestions for potential guests to be on the show, or you want to be on the show yourself, please feel free to reach out. Or if you're a musician and have music that you want me to play or consider playing, please send me an email and I will check it out. You can reach us at Ask the, Ask the Expert at theidentityguru.net. So A-S-K-T-H-E-E-X-P-E-R-T at theidentityguru.net. Please check us out. Please send an email if you're interested in being on the show. Please be part of it. Or if you just have a question that you want me to address, like I would love to have a Q&A session where someone asks me a question, sends me a question to, to talk about with regard to identity, and I will answer it. So we'll have an Ask the Expert segment in season three, hopefully, but you have to send your questions in. And it can be about anything. Ask me your thoughts about anything in life and, I, you know, and I'll give my thoughts. Um, we can have a conversation without you having to actually be present. The goal for season three is to be regularly bringing you episodes every two weeks with some exceptions for holidays and the like, or you know, if I'm traveling or something along those lines. But generally speaking, I, my goal, beginning February 17th, join us. We have a wonderful guest on that day, um, wonderful conversation that makes me cry every time I listen to it, and I've listened to it once or twice. So um, it's, it's a joy, just as our guest today is a joy. Wendy, um, I met at a body positivity conference, and actually, interestingly enough, our season uh, three premier guests I met at the same conference, which is partly why this is part one and that is part two. Originally, my idea was to air them in the same episode, but the conversations are standalone, beautiful, phenomenal episodes, and this is a great way to end this season and then transition into next season. Uh, so on that note, um, stay tuned after the break for the conversation with Wendy Russell. And then of course, there'll be a song later. Enjoy the song, enjoy everything about your day. And on that note, it's time to listen. Dojo-kun character books are fun fictional children's picture books with the right amount of weirdness and character building. And the can-do karate kid Makoto brings laziness and procrastination with him everywhere. That is until he realizes these monsters are ruining his life. This book helps kids learn to defeat laziness and procrastination by using karate power. And the two true karate kids, friends Makoto and Michi, both want a dog. When one of them cannot have a dog, the dishonesty monster pushes them apart. This book helps children fight dishonesty and value honesty. And the follow-through karate kids, Makoto and Michi, dream of painting a mural at their dojo. But every time the kids move toward their goal, the quitting monster attacks. This book helps kids learn to use hard work and perseverance to achieve goals. Learn more at jennifertolgogger.com or order at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com or at bookstores. 
Welcome back, listeners. I am so excited to be here with the beautifully talented and amazing actress extraordinaire and just human extraordinaire, Wendy Russell. Yay! Welcome! Hi! Hi! Wow, wow. That was... <laughs> thank you for that amazing intro. My gosh. Um, can we just gush about you for a moment, please? Oh, gosh, no! <laughs> yes, because uh, this is... I, I think this is probably why you connected. First of all, when you reached out to me and said, come on my podcast. And I was like, yeah, let's have a chat. And you were like, because we have similar-ish stories. So I can't wait to hear the similar-ish because I'm, I'm, I'm all in. But you sent me your email and in your signature, if I may, you have an MA in sociology and communication. You have your Alfred Enterprises. You do... You are a word artist, you are a professional speaker, you are a creativity coach, you are a distinguished Toastmaster two times over, you president of Toastmasters, sergeant at arms, president, treasurer, I mean, like, and you've won uh, various other Toastmaster awards, and you are a creativity coach to me is like the, you know, like kind of the, this is my jam, like, uh, this is so, so cool, and the fact that you are um, you teach people, you have a writing course that you sell to people, like you teach people, like you, like, this is like, you are a creative genius. And, yeah. and for those of you that, I mean, obviously this is a podcast, so we're not seeing, seeing anything, but, um, Bonnie Jean is, has all, is also a painter and did some amazing paintings for her friend in Japan and sent them as a gift. Like, I'm just like, I'm like you, like you are creativity 24 seven. So like we are total soul sisters here on the, uh, in the creativity world. So I just wanted to give you a little props. My, you know, actor is way back in the day. You know, I know you introduced me as an actor. That was my, you know, <laughs> Juno was one of my gigs. I had, um, I have about three seconds of airtime with Jennifer Garner and that's it. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I moved on from, from acting to producing and writing and TV hosting. And, uh, and so that's, that it's been all of the things in the film and television industry. And so, um, yeah, creativity is my middle name sister. So, so well, happy to be chatting with you. Thank you for the, I'm, I'm, if, if, for those of you who can't see me, I, I'm trying to cover my face. I don't do compliments very well. Uh, <laughs> Well, well, partly because take for, me, it. <laughs> for, for me, compliments growing up was a manipulative tool. It's like my mother wow. used it as a way to get what she wanted out of us. And it was never true. She, she would only compliment us for the purpose of getting what she wanted. And then the minute she got what she wanted or the minute she impressed somebody else, you know, she would, she would compliment us in front of other people to make herself look good as a good mom. Right. And then she'd turn around behind closed doors and remind us that we weren't good enough and we'd never amount to anything. But then right. she expected us to take care of her. So it, oh, yeah. So imagine that for 18 years. And so when anybody for, for years, when anybody would compliment me, my what the trigger in my brain was, what do they want? And, sure. and, <laughs> and, and, and I'm, and actually I'm not doing that with you. I'm not like, okay, what does she want? No, You're not, no. <laughs> I want for nothing but to give you some props because you are awesome. And I think, um, I, I think, listen, just you calling that out of what happened to you when you were a kid for 18 years, that that was used to, you feel like it 
compliments were used against you. I appreciate how self-aware you are and how that, you know, that was a trigger for you. And now like you're hyper aware of it. And so damn it, you can take a compliment girl. So yeah. Some with some people it's harder than others, you know, <laughs> and, and sometimes I can't always discern what the, if they're really giving a compliment or if there's some ulterior motive. And, sure. and of course I'm the person that gives compliments right and left because I, you know, it's kind of ironic as I grew up because I didn't have that love and support that kids should have. I make it my business to give people love and support, you know, whether you're a stranger, a student, a client, it, it doesn't matter at all who you are for me. I want you to know that your beauty is bigger than what society says your beauty is. And that's part of what this podcast was all about. This is that this is where it came from. And why, what my memoir is about is, is finding the beauty within uh, um, and seeing that it's more than what society tells you you are. And, you know, you talk creativity. I was denied my right to be creative, told that I could never make a living as a creative person. And consequently, I've existed in this world where I've been caught between two lives, where I've been trying to be in a profession that is more respectable. Actually, I don't know if teachers are respected at all in this world, but I, the way that- Yes, yes, they are. Very well, much. They, the monetarily, the government doesn't seem to respect Fair. them. They don't pay them. And Fair. then when you're an adjunct like me, there's there's less love, you know, it, it's difficult, put it that way. And then when you try to put so much in, it takes away from your creative side. So try straddle those worlds. But- it just, it, that was the point of this, to really shed light on the real things in life and use my story as a catalyst for creating change and redefining beauty in the world. Because, yeah. you know, I grew up in this world where I was told because my body shape was different, because, you know, when I did gain weight or lose weight, it didn't matter. But even when I was at my thinnest, I was 40 pounds above what the government said I should weigh. And therefore I was fat. Right. And therefore I, you know, so I spent my twenties. I know I, thankfully I never fell into the whole diet stuff. I was never a, a dieter. I learned very early that I wasn't going to fall into that trap and deny myself food that I enjoy. I, I had to learn though, um, balance because I did because of my childhood become an overeater and did gain weight, but not until I was in my twenties and thirties. Um, did I, I let that happen. So, right. I, you know, and, and this isn't just about me, but I, I should tell you that there was a funny story about a doctor, my senior year of high school, I weighed exactly 200 pounds. Mind you, for my bone structure and my frame, I was too thin. I needed a little bit more meat on my bones for my height, my bone structure. I needed to weigh somewhere around 225 or so. Uh, I went to the doctor, he comes into the room and he looks at me and he's like, oh my God, honey, you're emaciated. You're so thin. Okay. So he looks at me and sure. tells me I'm too thin. Then he looks at my chart and sees I weigh 200 pounds. And literally in the next breath, he goes, oh, uh, you need to lose some weight, honey. How do you go from in one breath, you are too skinny to you are too fat because you have a number versus not a number. It's like, you know, if you look at somebody and they look healthy, you know, if they're too thin, they're too thin. And like, you are perfect the way you are. I, I don't know what you weigh, but 
You are you talking healthy. to me? Yes, yes, Wendy. You look, oh, thank you. you look very healthy. You you don't you're not emaciated. You don't have bones protruding, and right. you you're not like struggling to walk like I am right now. <laughs> oh. No, I can imagine that. Like, how confusing would that be for a kid? That yeah. like literally, you know, when you see somebody, it's it's one thing, and then to go by some dumb chart that you know the medical system is it's, it's the same with that like food triangle thing that we grew up with and you're supposed to eat you know this mount like don't I, the food try give me a break with the food triangle we were like how what you know that and then your bmi and all of these things that you're learning in school are very important and it's like i call yeah. bullshit i call bullshit oh, yeah yeah yeah, BMI is well. All BMI is is the chart that they had in the old days with a number assigned to it. So they're yeah. just taking height and weight, yeah. putting it in a spot, and going, "This number is now assigned thirty-three." This, and the, so they're not all they're doing is simplifying the sure. chart, right? And and like and it's then, a magical answer for everybody. It's like give, give me a break, right? And yeah, I know there are like sports, like athletes, like football players who are filled with muscle galore that are considered morbidly obese because they are they weigh so all these yep. muscle yep. and they weigh too much. And it's like, well, so they have to go through all the same rigmarole that I have to go to when I'm at my normal weight. Now I admit that I, I've gained a hundred pounds during this pandemic, but there's been a lot of stress and I have an autoimmune disorder and that it, when stress happens, I balloon. Yeah. And I need to unstress. Wait, that's not a word. I need to, no, I like, <laughs> I like it. it. I'm going to use that. <laughs> totally. Unstress it. Unstress. I know. And it's so easily said, you know, so uh, easier said than done, as they say. Um, yeah, because I think that's the, is so key now. Everyone is like, oh, you have to, you know, relax and meditate and self-love and self-care and all of these things. And you're like, yeah, but you have to find the thing that works for you, right? Right. Yeah. And, and, and like people are like, oh, you have to do mindfulness. And I'm like, yeah, I'm very mindful of myself. I, I don't I don't need to find my mind anymore. Right. I, I, <laughs> I'm I got a grasp. I got a grasp on it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I haven't figured out what the, the attraction to mindfulness is. And and I respect it. You know, if you if you if you can find something in it. To help you unstress, I, I'm going to just use that now. I'm going to start a trend with this new word. I'm going. I'm a writer. We we create new words. I like it. Um, and I actually wrote a poem once where I purposely added the word "un" in front of a whole bunch of words. Oh, cool. Um, sometimes the word was supposed to, and sometimes not. But I I emphasized the "un" for some reason. Um, I think I uh, I know I recorded it. I don't know if it was on an episode yet or not. I, I, I intended for it to be on an episode or I intend for it to be in the future on an episode. We'll see. Okay. But alas, alas, <laughs> um, alas, I just like, like, there's just something about this adding the word unto things that is, is funky to me. It's creative. I like, I like it. Creative. I love it. Hey, listen, can you tell me, um, I've never asked you what um, your you've got to create your work handle, your creative handle, your your thing, your identity, your the identity guru. Tell me, tell me what that is. Oh, okay. So um, what's interesting is uh, it just kind of came into existence. 
um, a few years ago, someone was asking me, so what exactly do you do? And I was trying to explain what I do. And ultimately what I do is I help people know who they are so they can communicate it with the, the world. And what I didn't know is how that figured in and what it really meant. So I had a friend speaking in one of my classes. I teach sociology. I'm, I'm actually looking at some point in the next couple of years to break completely away from teaching and focus solely on my business and coaching and writing and editing and those kind of aspects of the creative existence. But so this, this friend of mine was speaking in my class about um, identity, the identity of the homeless. And so she's sitting there talking. Well, she's actually standing there talking. We weren't virtual. We were live. And she's telling them about her project that she runs where she goes and helps the homeless. And she said something. I, I can't even tell you what she said at this point. I, I have no recollection of what she actually said, but it was in that moment that it clicked for me that I've been doing identity work my entire career. And it didn't even dawn on me that I was. My first master's degree was looking at Burmese refugees and and talking to people about what it meant to be a, a town refugee versus a camp refugee and how they were connected to their homeland. And even though nowhere in my, my thesis did I bring up the word identity, it was really all about their identity as a, as a Burmese um, citizen, as a Burmese person, as, a, as an ethnically Burmese person or an ethnically Quran or whatever group that they were part of. I didn't even realize this back then. This we're talking. This is like 2000, so we're talking 21 years ago now. And that was where my it was rooted. But it was even rooted before that. But 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 that master's thesis gave me that ex initial expertise. All of my PhD work was focused in understanding international identity, how people come together, race and ethnicity, um, and then even my own identity was questioned when I was pushed out of the program by somebody who never would have allowed a woman to get a PhD if, unless they basically conformed. And I didn't know this at the time. He was making me jump through so many hoops. And what I found out years later is that he never advised a woman before. I was sort of assigned to him and, and I, I admired him because he did work in social movements that was like, I was a social movement activist and I, I wanted him as my advisor because his work was brilliant. And here he was a man that had no intention of making of, of allowing me to to achieve the PhD. So he sent me through hoop after hoop after hoop. And when he finally said, if you don't have a defendable proposal by XYZ date, I'll have to resign as your chair. I was like, oh, great. I'll, oh, this is fine with me. I, I can live with somebody else. I handled it um, very naively. I copied the whole committee accepting his resignation, which embarrassed him. Come to find out that he had all the power in the department that he was on the committee for tenure, for raises, for everything. And no one in the department wanted to piss him off. So basically he blackballed me in the department with shy one or two people. But in order to get my dissertation, I had to have a committee that had three people in the department on it and four people on campus, three people in the department and five people overall. Well, I had the off-campus person. I had somebody in another department, no problem. And I had two people in the department that didn't care if they pissed them off. One who was never seeking tenure. She was had a dual appointment. So she qualified because she had a dual appointment. Um, but her main appointment was the other place. So she 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 could skate it. And the other person, he he didn't really care. He he he'd had tenure long enough. And he's like, I make what I make. I, I don't really give a darn. Let's get you PhD because you're, you know, you're you're brilliant. And, um, but no one, we literally knocked on everyone's door and talked to them. 
and and we had these clandestine meetings it was hilarious <laughs> clandestine <laughs> meetings to try to figure out you know if we could find one person and nobody even people who had my back previously suddenly like i was person non grata and i ultimately was forced out of the program um, but I used all that foundational information to proceed into teaching and I apply it in the teaching world. And then when I did my second master's, I actually did talk about identity. I actually have a definition of identity that is the first clear-cut definition of identity across the literature. And while I was talking about political identity, I, I gave a general definition and it's been cited in, uh, by other academics over 400 times now. And it's nice. like, wow, it's a dang shame my ex-husband's name is on that. Oh. <laughs> so it's not my real identity. Oh. Um, it was in that moment that I, I realized that, hey, you know, people don't know their identity. People don't know what they are. And then when I tell people I do identity work, they automatically go, oh, so you talk about people's gender identity. No, oh, interesting. Right. That's like 5% of identity. And yeah. like, yes, that is part of it. Yes, I do uh, address that, but I actually go deeper and beyond the, I, I look at the bigger picture of identity and how we fit in the world. And I wanted something that really said that to the world that really easily did. And so I, you know, I, I almost didn't go with the word guru because there's such a misperception and such some, some people think guru and you're like, they think you're an expert, but technically the word guru, all it means is teacher. Amazing. If you look up the definition, guru cool. means teacher. It means a teacher who has gained expertise in their field. Amazing. I have. Right. <laughs> and just, yes, you have. Holy cow. <laughs> and, and I, the identity fact thing that I, I've done, I when you look back at my whole life, even as a kid, I was really fascinated in people's identity. My very first um, sociological experiment, which wasn't really sociological because I was like 11, I walked up to strangers and asked if they were virgins. <laughs> I didn't know what a virgin was, mind you, and I didn't care what their answer was. What I cared about is how they responded, how they responded to me. <laughs> wow. You were doing experiments back then. Amazing. Yeah. Nice. It was all about their identity, even though I didn't know it was about their identity. Amazing. I love that you've trademarked it. And I think, thank you for clarifying. Um, I think it's, that it's, that's so clear to me, um, you know, that, that you, you have such a deep connection to that word, you know, and, and, you know, the fact that you added guru to it is great because it's, you know, <laughs> you, you, that it, I think that's a well-earned title for what, you know, for how schooled you are and, and what, you know, the, the, the connection you have to that word. So um, I, I think it's awesome. I, I love that you coach people to find that because I think in, um, especially when you're working with entrepreneurs who are trying to build their brands, who are trying to figure out who they are and what they want to say to the world. I think it's so important that people are clear because so many people mm -hmm. get into business and they just think, oh, I'm just going to sell X, Y, Z and they don't, you know, or I just have a, a service mm -hmm. and that's, I, that's just who I am, but it's so much more than that. So, well, yeah. And, and when clients come to me and I say, and so how are you framing this? What do you mean? How am I framing this? I'm like, it doesn't matter if you're writing your life story or you're writing a novel or you're, or you're writing a self-help book or you're, or you're painting a picture or you're building a business. You need a brand identity. You need to have something 
that clearly shows the world what you offer. And, and that's what's unique. You know, other editors that I, I know who edit people's work or help them write, developmental editors, ghost writers, whatever, they just edit. And I mean, saying just edit, that's really wrong. They, they do the editing and they do brilliant work in the end. But what I do is I look at the, the brand as a whole and I all every client that I edit their work, I do a review edit first and then I get into the line edit because I have to know what the overall picture is and make recommendation for that before, before I can make line edits in a book or make changes or suggestions for changes because I need to know what the ultimate purpose is just to write for the sake of writing does no one any <laughs> ironically we're talking for the sake no we're not talking for the sake of talking. there's a point to all of this <laughs> this, is, this is uh this is amazing because i'm i'm just like i'm so i so love what you do and what you do for people because I, it, it is so important and i think it takes branding to the next level you know, like, I think you've, 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 uh, you've taken it to another level so deep, you know, very often, you know, branding experts aren't taking people to the level where you, where you go with them, but because you are a creative genius and because you are already, you know, you're a, the so many amazing aspects, you're a writer, you're a speaker, you have all of these beautiful, juicy things and MA communication and like, you know, even the sociology background is such a huge piece of what you can do to help uh, people. So it's awesome. Yeah. And, and what's interesting that you say that is a lot of branding experts, they focus on the product and only the product. Sure. And, and, and they don't see that the product is a piece that's part of a whole, like there's the, the company, there's the people being involved in it. There's the consumer that are part of the identity. So when you develop a brand, it's not just about the product. It's about that building that relationship and that connection uh, with another person. And actually, I, I was blessed to meet someone through BNI. I don't know if you've ever heard of BNI, but yep. I was blessed to meet someone through BNI who's writing, a, who does a lot of what I do, um, a similar work. And he's been working on a book. And we talked about writing this book together that is taking this whole branding to another level. And we both have been like extraordinarily busy and we haven't really worked on it. And I, you make me think about the fact that I really need to get back onto it and make it a priority and meet with him and, and really um, get that out there because I think it would be good for professionals as well as layperson to understand that there's a whole lot more beyond just the brand, the, the literal naming of the brand, the, the trademarking or registered trademarking. So, you know, People, you know, technically I haven't paid the registration yet, but, <laughs> but you, in, in the state of Illinois, you don't have to, you can, oh. there, there's, um, I did a whole lot of research. You can trademark something without paying the registration. So it's not a registered trademark, gotcha. but by putting the TM on it, you are saying that I'm taking claim to this. Um, but I do need to pay the registration at some point to register it with the government, which will I, you know, I still, it, it's like this borderline aspect. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about this on the air, <laughs> but I, I'm about transparency. I don't care. Uh, I mean, I do care, but I don't care. Does that make sense? I do. But I think that's an interesting point though, that, you know, that, that, and good information for people to know if you, you know, throw a TM on there and stake your claim, throw this, the, you know, put a stake in the ground for the fact that this is my, 
this is my jam and do get the paperwork rolling after the fact, but you know, yeah. throw yeah, that on. Now it doesn't work in every state or every country. Sure. Every yeah, state, for sure. Some countries have different rules. Now, yeah. once I get the, the the registered trademark in Illinois and in the state in, in the United States, other countries were respected in a different way, and that's where the R with a circle comes into play rather than the TM. Gotcha. But most people don't know the difference. That they don't understand that it's actually essentially the same thing. One is just it's you know, you've paid, you know, a $600 yeah. fee and the other is you haven't. The R, the R means you paid for it. So it's the next exactly. level. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is, well, the R means you absolutely paid for it. You can't use the R unless you paid for it. But Correct. a lot of people will pay for it and still use the TM because people understand what the TM is more gotcha. than understand what the R is. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was like a fascinating lesson to learn. It was, it was amazing. So we, we should trademark your name, Wendy Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, you, quite, I think there's quite a few out there. <laughs> are there like I've never met another Wendy Russell? Actually, interestingly, I've only think I've ever met a Wendy. Like you're like the third Wendy I've ever met. Oh, I'm really? trying to think. I knew a Wendy in high school. I don't recall having knowing any Wendy's through college, and I think I've had one Wendy as a student. Which you'd oh. think that it's a name that would be a little more popular than that. So, yeah. um, I mean, maybe there was another Wendy in there that's just not rememberable. Rememberable. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, um, but um, my recollection, which of course yesterday I, I learned with my poor students that sometimes our memory fails us and we mix things up with between history and our personal societal history and personal history. But that's, that's at least I can admit it. Other instructors <laughs> would be like, no, I know everything. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yesterday, did you know, was the anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall? Oh, I did not know that. So for those of you who are listening, you know, six months from now, because that's when I air this. Right. Um, today is November 10th of 2021. And November 9th was the anniversary from 1989. And I had in my head, I always knew it was 1989 that it fell. Yeah. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was during my eighth grade year. There, there, there must have been something going on around the Berlin Wall while I was in eighth grade. Like there was, must have been some protests or some big things starting because I put it in my head. I know in eighth grade, that's when I started getting involved in, in the battle against apartheid. And I really was starting to become aware of this oppressive world that we live in and, and the social justice problems of the world. Uh, so, you know, I was very hyper-focused. So it's quite possible I knew of something, but I swore all these years that the Berlin Wall fell in spring of 1989, not fall of 1989. So it was kind of ironic that we were talking about this in class yesterday. And it turns out it was the anniversary, the very anniversary of the thing we were talking about. That's so cool. That's so cool. That's kismet. That is oh, yeah. synchronicity right there at its finest. I love that. Yeah. Getting back to your book that you're going to co-write. Uh, yeah, yes. I'd say get back to that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I need to reach out to him and like, I've read the book, I've read it through and I know what I want to add to it. I mean, what he has already is fairly pretty good, but it's, it's about half done. And he's like, I just don't know where to take it from here. And it's not quite where I want it to be. And I'm like, until we, when, when, when we met, we talked about him hiring me to help him finish it or me just co-authoring it with him. And I'm like, 
well, it would be really good for me if we co opt <laughs> in one yes. way. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, now if he hired me, then I'd make money, but you know, sometimes it's uh... right. The trade off. <laughs> oh, dear. But think of the book tours you'll go on, Bonnie Jean. Think of the, <laughs> the book tours, the fame, the fortune. No. Um, it's writing. I know. Maybe, maybe fame for 15 minutes and then the fortune is small, but, um, it's, See, I, I think a book is for cred, don't you? Well, sometimes for some things, but I have other books to write. I have over 160 titles in my queue. Wow. I, I need a benefactor. I, I need, need somebody to like, just pay my bills for six months. Um, and then if someone were to pay my bills for six months, I could do my podcast and write the rest of the day and yeah. then I'd be good. And I, I whip out like all these books and, um, are you going to write 160 books in six months? Cause that sounds pretty. No, I wouldn't write that. I would probably write about <laughs> 10 books in six months. That's, that's um, amazing. And some of them are like, I have two that are really essentially I need for the one book it's in final editing. That's my memoir. Um, the first book of my memoir series is in the final editing stage i just haven't emotionally been in a place where i could sit down and do it yeah uh, because it's like and then with this whole pandemic hitting like i've i've basically been shut off from the world because ugh, i don't even want to go there that's a place i i just am not in a i don't i'm so tired of hearing about this whole yeah merlu that i just can't even think about it. yeah but um so i just haven't been in an emotional place to do it i but everybody keeps telling me I need to get it out there because it will help people. You know, what I've been through as a child, what I've gone through. And actually this podcast is built off of the premise of the, the book. So oh, cool. it's, it's part of the brand of the life's a blank series, um, an aspect, you know, and, and I do a, I have a talk that I can, um, shift and shape to go into schools, businesses to talk about how, you know, you can be anything you want and you have to own where you're at in your life. And, you know, whether, whether I'm inspiring people who work for, you know, a big conglomerate and they need to own their identity as a member of that conglomerate, or they they're 16 years old and they need to own their identity as a human being and find what's them instead of listening to the rest of the world. You know, I, I want people to know that they can do whatever they want in life, that, it, that they need to stand up for their own path and not the path everybody tells them or the path your mother manipulates you in. I probably wouldn't use that word with other people. In my case, it was the path my mother was manipulating me. Sure. <laughs> um, I get that. But and then the other book is a novel, actually. It's a time, it's a coming of age novel, again, about identity. All of my books have something to do with identity and I didn't even know it. This is um, so cool. And uh, so that is a coming of age book set with a time travel backdrop. So um, the time travel is not the priority, but the, it's there. It's a character in and of itself. And then I have other books in all sorts of genres. I have horror books, I have poetry books, I have you know, and some are in different stages of being written. Like I have a, a historical fiction about Burma that's half done. Um, so like, you know, I, I started, I get to a point, but then other things get in the way and then I get a new idea. So I need like to sit down and I need to finish these ones, get them out there, get them done and, and do it. And once I have, you know, books out there, then I'll start making you know, if I have 50 books out there making, you know, a little bit of money each that I'm going to be sustaining myself on books. Yeah. And it would be a goal. And I, I like Dean Koontz is a, is a, 
is a um, hero of mine because Aww. he whips out books. So yeah, like, like he went from having like 30 books to suddenly overnight he had over a hundred. I'm like, how did that happen? Oh, um, I, yeah. So I don't, I don't know what he did to suddenly do that, but yeah. Um, he's, he's a brilliant genius with his books. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about you. Stop talking about me. You can't not back on me. What's the, why are you doing that to me? This is supposed to be about you and we're getting close. No, to it's everything. not. It, this is supposed to be a conversation and I am so I'm fascinated by you. And I'm so I'm sorry if I have commandeered this conversation to gear it back towards you, but Maybe sometimes uh, Bonnie Jean needs to be in the spotlight. How about that? <laughs> and you know, that's what, you know, real life, real conversation. It goes where it goes. <laughs> it goes where it goes. Listen, okay, here's the thing. You know this about me, which is why you emailed me and you said we have the same, a similar story-ish. So for those that are listening, uh, Bonnie Jean and I uh, just attended um a month ago, we attended a body, uh, the, the international body positivity conference. And, um, I was the keynote speaker. And so Bonnie heard my story that, uh, you know, I ended up uh, at, you know, in a, in a very dark place as a kid. And, um, I, uh, you know, I moved, I moved, I changed schools five times in seven years. And, uh, it was really, really hard to make new friends. I had moved across the country and uh, went into a school that, of course, you know, you've got all of a sudden everyone's got their their friends. And so my my BFF became uh, food. So I that was what, you know, the one thing that didn't punch me or spit at me or call me names or threaten me um, or, you know, threatened me to have a fight after school or whatever. It was one thing that made me feel good. And to your point, I've heard you say on other podcasts, you know, that was the one thing you had control over mm -hmm. that you could control in your life. Cause the whole, the rest of my whole life felt out of completely out of control. So, yeah. so food was my food was my pal. So, um, so I don't know if that's the connection. <laughs> and that actually is because food became my, my, my everything. It was the only thing I could have. I basically had a love, a love affair with food and became an overeater. And so for years I, I called myself a recovering overeater and this pandemic, everything has been out of control. Like everything in my life has felt out of control. So I've turned to food and eaten and eaten and eaten between that and the stress with my autoimmune disorder, I have gained over a hundred pounds again. And that's not good. That's not healthy. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not sad or upset over it because I needed to control something in my life. Yeah. And just like your childhood and, and as you got into an, an, into adulthood, sometimes we have to control something, even if it, it ultimately may end up being unhealthy for us <laughs> because yeah. we, gained, we gained too much weight, but, um, it, 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 and that actually was where my memoir started was a, uh, as a book to talk about my con taking control back from food, because ultimately what happened was food started controlling me, you know, in a way, sure. even though I controlled it, I, I Felt let out it of control around it for sure. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because it became such a comfort, um, yeah. no, that, that no matter what happened, it had to be around food. Was that kind of the experience you, you had that no matter what you did, like good, bad, okay, well, I'll just eat now. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I would, um, you know, at that point, I had, um, I had started auditioning, and it was so ingrained in me that it was like a comfort thing, that if I had a a crappy audition, I would come home and I would make a batch of cookie dough and I would swear up and down that that batch of cookie dough was going to make it into the oven and I was going to share it with all my friends and neighbors and it was going to be amazing, but I never cooked the damn cookie dough. I just ate the raw cookie dough. And sometimes it was the whole bowl and sometimes it was just, you know, a couple bites, but Boy, I'll tell you, if I ate the whole bowl, I was like rapidly in bed with a headache and feeling absolutely sick and then beating myself up about it. And and it was a cycle. It was a vicious cycle. Right. So, um, yeah. So for me, I mean, listen, you know, you and I had a thing with food, um, you know, have a thing with I think if you have a thing, had a thing with food, you'll always have a thing with mm-hmm. food. Yes. But for some people like you and I, you know, some people it's drugs, some people it's uh, smoking, some people it's shopping, some people it's, you know, sex, some people it's like all all of the addictions. There is some mm-hmm. thing that most people have that is their relaxation, their go-to, their, you know, we don't, we don't, for whatever reason, we go to the self-destructive shit. We don't go to the self-care shit. That's the problem, right? We, and we never get, we never got told that, oh, honey, if you're upset because someone hurt you at school, go have a bath and I'll make you a, you know, whatever. I'll make you a nice smoothie. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Like it, everything, and with food, as you know, (laughs) it's the kind of the one, like, it is the one thing that we need to live. So it's the easiest addiction to go to, whereas the others are a little bit on the taboo side of things, right? You've got drugs, gambling, you know, over shopping, you've got, um, you know, smoking, all of those things are now kind of looked at like, "Mm, you got a problem with food. We can't damn well avoid it. It's in our house at all times. Whereas if you're an alcoholic or a druggie, you don't put that stuff in your house. Right. Well, right. And that's the thing. It's, it's so it's like I, I comment on that in my memoir. It's like food is the food you need. You need it to survive. It's yeah. not like I can just stop eating. That's right. If I stop eating, it goes to the other direction, and then you become anorexic or bulimic or something along those lines. Yeah. And that's just you know, and people like when they think of someone with an eating disorder, they don't think of somebody being an overeater. Like, oh, you're just a pig if you overeat. Totally. No, I'm not like, I don't even like when I was younger and I would eat, I didn't even realize I was eating. Like, you know, when I was in college and I was upset and I ate an entire pizza all by myself or like the last year, there was about a two month period where I was just, I, I hit and, and I wasn't depressed. I like, it's, it, there's a very dis, dis, distinct difference between being depressed and being in grief and facing loss. Sure. I was facing grief and loss for other things in my life. And I, you know, was like, why should I care if I gain weight? Why should I care if anything else happens? You know, I can't control that. I can't become a mom. I can't control my finances. I can't control my job. I can't control any of this. So why don't I just order an entire pizza and eat it? The, the good thing though, was I couldn't eat an entire pizza anymore. Like literally I, I tried really hard. I got this giant pizza and I'm like, if I eat another bite, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> so what's, what's really nice is like, I've, I've, I've got myself to a point where I, I can't eat a whole pizza, but I can eat a fourth of a pizza, which, and I, when I'm talking pizza, I'm talking an 18 inch giant pizza. Like I used to eat an 18 inch giant pizza, like just because I could. 
Sure. And now I can't, which that makes me feel good. So I know that. <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, but I shouldn't because I'm not supposed to have gluten, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, right. But like, yeah, so that, that food, you know, it, we're looked down upon and then it, and then it becomes, you know, if you're a drug addict or you are a sex addict, you have a disease and it needs to be fixed. Right. But if you are, if you are addicted to food and, and it, or, or you use food as the thing to satisfy your to your comfort or to fill the void because yep. drugs are used to fill a void. Sex it's not necessarily about being an addict. Like, I don't necessarily like being that the idea that I may be addicted to food. It's more really about, I had a void in my life. And I imagine you had a void in your life too, yep. that you were trying to fill. And yep. that the problem was that you put this food in your body, just like someone who is a, who's addicted, who does drugs or sex or whatever their addict, their addiction, I like, we need to get away from that. Whatever sure. vice someone uses to vice. fill the void, sure. yeah. you know, whatever thing they're using, all that happens is you feel empty on the other side. You feel yep. just as empty. You know, you might have that moment of satisfaction. Like it's so short, that fleeting moment, like yeah. literally. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why people who have turned to drugs or sex need more and more and more and it, and it collapses their life. But with food, you don't necessarily have that happen the same way. And that's why I always say a recovering overeater, because like it will always be part of me. I will always have to think about if I order this whatever and I eat, you know, 3000 calories in a meal, am I a bad person? You know, and then I think about, you know, what I went through as a kid and all these different things and, or the bad day I had. And I sometimes just really want chocolate chip cookie dough. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's have a movie night and have chocolate chip cookie dough and popcorn. That would be fabulous. Boom. Done. <laughs> I like putting uh, white cheddar sprinkles on my popcorn too. Got to have those. You can have the white cheddar. Yes. I'll have just the boring, plain old. No, it's not yes. boring. I love it. I'm all about the salt and butter. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's it's all, it's all, I, I'm very traditionalist when it comes to my popcorn. <laughs> Occasionally put some garlic on there, but I have oh. to really be in the mood for the garlic. I, I, yeah. So, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it would be a fun movie night, actually. I would I know, we, we can watch Juno. <laughs> let's watch all of my shows shall we yes, let's oh do it um so <laughs> you have don't you have a talk show now as well i am uh, i am occasionally a guest expert on a show that airs um nationally in canada called city line and it airs it actually airs it's now syndicated in the states and other other countries but um yeah i'm occasionally a guest on that it's not uh it's not a regular gig for me, but, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what, that's, what's going on in the TV world. Other than that, I am, uh, you know, similar to you, I am, I'm coaching entrepreneurs, um, for on my end of things, I've been coaching specifically female entrepreneurs about, um, getting visible and standing up and getting on camera confident because, you know, I think the, at this point in our world and, you know, Warhol was right when he said, everyone's going to get their 15 minutes. Uh, you know, we uh, being on video now as an entrepreneur is a non-negotiable for your business. 
And I think, mom, you're, if you could see Bonnie Jean's face right now, she's gritting her teeth when I said that to her, because she's like, damn it, girl, don't make me go on camera. Um, yeah, can I call you out on your website? I don't see much of you anywhere. And I want to see a video of you welcoming people. And I want to see you going, hey, I'm Bonnie Jean, and this is what I can do for you and your business. We're going to grow together. You're going to be amazing. Da, 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 da. Anyways, so that's what I do is I help uh, female entrepreneurs put together awesome videos for their websites and their social media so that they can um, attract more clients and they can attract um, the right clients, but they're inspiring people to, you know, connect with them. And, nice. and, and so that's, that's, that's what it is at the end of the day, they, they need to stand up and stand out online and show the F up. Can I swear? Show I the fuck up. I don't care. Show the fuck up is really what I'm saying. <laughs> you need to show up for your business. Right. And that's, and, and what, at the end of the day, if you can see somebody visually on video, you connect with them on such a deeper level that, um, you know, people, people will instantly know if they want to work with you or not. That's the, that's the, the great thing, right? So they're either your people or they're not, but that's how right. they learn to like, know, and trust you. And at the end of the day, that's who buys from you. So. Well, it's funny you, you say that because I am one who doesn't generally like to be on video. Um, I just, I don't, it's not that I, when I'm on video, when I do interviews, when I do uh, things on video, I, I hold my own. It's not that I don't hold my head up high and do what I need to do. I just don't think I'm at my best when I'm in video. That's why I chose to do a radio podcast show instead of a video podcast show. Because gotcha. for me, it just, it, it, it's more in tune with me as a person. And I like to go against the grain a little bit. So what I then, and what I need to do is maybe put a, video recording a sound recording up that does what you're talking about and see if my going against the grain and doing yeah. it that way what what its effect is but you give me that but I created this course um the self-coaching method yeah and I've been paying this the, the where it's supposed to be housed for 10 months a hundred dollars a month but I haven't uploaded the course Oh. Um, it's video it's all video and it's done it's it's put together and it's I, I've got it all night there's a couple little things that need to be done when I upload it but and I just haven't got around to uploading it there's also a couple things with the site that are quirks that I need their help with and, the, and and they sent me an email back saying well we can send you to a page to and I'm like I've read all your help stuff I need yeah. a person to talk help to me talk to me yeah, I need a person don't, yeah don't don't I, I I'm like literally you're gonna make me go read a bunch of facts and spend 10 hours when a three minute conversation will boom, take care of it. Like it that drives me, we've gone, we've taken things to the extreme I know. with all these customer service that they do everything by email and you end up spending five hours for what should have taken five minutes. And it's just, it's driving me nuts. I will, I will. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Never, I agree. yeah so, um, but I think you, 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 truth right there like I I think part of my problem is I just I don't like my my video myself and video very much because of the body issues I have with myself not that was what other people think of me I, I mean and it's not like it's this weird thing I could care less what people think of me I, it's all about what I think of me when I see myself on camera it's not what I like, I don't care if you think I'm fat, thin, beautiful, whatever. It's, it's all about what I think about me. And so I've 
held back, but like I can make money on that course. (laughs) Yes, you can. And guess what? The more that you avoid putting this out to the world, the more you are avoiding sharing your gifts with the world. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So seriously, so it's not about you. Remember, regardless of how you feel (coughs) about what you currently think you look like and you're not happy with it, who gives a shit? Because it's everybody else that is looking to you for your wisdom and your creative genius. And they're going to teach, you're teaching them how to write a book. So at the end of the day, it's about your, your skills and your talents and your abilities. So fuck them if they, you know, can't. (laughs) I don't know what we're going to do when, uh, when the FCC starts regulating podcasts right now, it's not regulated. So (laughs) beat me out. You can beat me out. That's fine. No, no, I don't edit. I I literally don't edit anything. I, I, the only thing I do is drop this this sound file in along with the other sound files, and it, it you know someone someone actually said to me, oh I've got if you want some music for behind, I go no I don't edit it. It's about the conversation. It's yeah. not about background music or 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 little sounds. It's it's about you and me having a conversation that that sometimes goes to an uncomfortable place. <laughs> Which I, I will tell you, we're, we're running short on time. I know yes. you got some cats to feed I and, do. and I've got a, a book to finish reading and write a report for my client on. Uh, but I definitely think that my listeners are going to want to have you back on the show at some point down the road. And oh, you and I are going to have to have like some conversations more because I like you. You're awesome. Uh- <laughs> back at you. Back at you, lady. And I like your glasses. They're just so profound and just like, like wow there. thank you, you thank you, you can wear the bangs thing like i can't get away with bangs but boy you got it going on oh <laughs> thank girl uh, thank you <laughs> so <laughs> i just i i've loved our conversation even even when you took control of it a little bit which thank you for taking control of it a little bit <laughs> I, I think i just think it was your turn today that's all it's just your turn uh, um, but I, I, I do want to be cognizant of our times and our yeah. listeners times, and this has been absolutely wonderful. And I do hope you'll come back and can you give a last, some, can you tell the listeners, um, where they can reach you if they want to find you on the web or follow you on Twitter or, or whatever social media you're on, and then leave them with some last words that you want them to have. Sure. Um, I am at, I'm on Instagram, the Wendy Russell. I am on LinkedIn, the Wendy Russell, and it's two S's, two L's. And where else? I have a, um, my Facebook page. You can find me. Um, I think that's also the Wendy Russell. So that's consistent. <laughs> I think you know, I'm trying, trying to be consistent here because it was, uh, you know, it used to be She's Crafty, which was my TV show, but I've kind of switched it all over. Um, and uh, and final words, my goodness, wow. Um, uh, listen, I just think this has been amazing. I, I, you know, despite the fact that I commandeered the conversation to <laughs> talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for letting me do that um 
Uh, a, a side note, I have also recorded a number of interviews for a podcast that I haven't put out to the world yet. And thanks to you, I'm probably going to use anchors. So yes, yeah, so easy. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited mm. about that, but yes, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun and so good and nice to get to know you better. And, um, and yeah, at the end of the day, it, it was creativity that saved my life because you know, what we didn't share was that, you know, I shifted from filling myself with food and I came home from auditions instead and I started making things with my hands again. So I was making gifts for my friends and art and pieces of furniture and, and all of these things, which, you know, took me away from filling myself artificial, artificially with food. I probably wasn't even hungry and, you know, and then went and I, I made stuff and I realized mm -hmm. that because creativity healed me and healed my vice for lack of a better term, my addiction to food, um, that my, you know, my compulsive overeating that I, I thought, you know what, this can really help other people, which is why I pitched my show to HGTV Canada. And I said, you know, you guys need a craft show and I need to be the host because, you know, creativity heals and, uh, and you are also creative genius. So thank you for for this conversation yeah well thank you so much wendy russell with two s's and two l's <laughs> and I, I am so thankful you came on the show and listeners hang on there'll be something after the break i don't know what it'll be because i don't know when this is airing yet but enjoy be beautiful be creative be you and have a wonderful rest of your day Should I take it as a 